0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for Conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording from our 2021 Elul learning series.
1: We're going to um, continue the conversation that I was starting last week. Um, it's it's possible, hopefully, to to follow this even if you weren't with us. But like I said last week, when I was preparing. Um, the the session and I was talking it through with Sarah. Um, she said that's all, that's all great, but what's what's the practical piece? And I said, yeah that that that's that's the next that's the next session, right? So that so that's this week. So my plan for this morning is to hop back just briefly to last week and give the give kind of the framework to remind folks of where we're at, to give a couple of practical examples. First, I of the teacher who we're looking at one and then one or two more. Um, and then hopefully I'm confident we'll have time and hopefully folks are up for this for, you know, work, workshopping a bit of this uh, for yourself as we move through this uh a little season with Rosh Hashanah looming, I mean, joyously approaching uh, closer uh, day to day. Um, so with that, let's see if I can make the share screen. Um, and here we go. Great. Okay. Folks can see that okay? Yes? Thumbs up? Great. Okay, so the first thing I'll kind of remind us of, and this is where we we wound up last week, is that when we talk about any type of health, physical health, mental health, and here, you know, exploring this idea of spiritual health, we're always talking about a spectrum. Right. It's very rare that someone is either completely physically healthy or completely physically unhealthy, completely spiritually healthy or completely spiritually unhealthy. It's usually somewhere in the middle, right? It's usually you can you can we're we're often in that realm of I'll speak for myself speaking I statements. I am often on a good day. I'm somewhere in the green right? I I don't know how many days I'm in full connectedness and meaning. I'm usually, you know, grappling with some of these spiritual struggles at least a little bit. Fortunately, in my life, I don't find myself too far on the red too often. Um, But that it's a spectrum and that different months, weeks, days, you might find yourself in different spiritual places. And, And that's just part of being a person. So then, there's a question of okay, well, if that's true, I'm suggesting that it is, if you buy into that concept, if that's true, um, then how do you cultivate that, right? How do you how do you bring yourself a little more into the green, uh, or, or at least try to minimize the amount of red that you're experiencing, right? How do you how do you navigate whatever spiritual pain you might be experiencing? How do you navigate the spiritual struggles that you're having with issues of Sadness, suffering, hope, trust, isolation, right? The struggles that you might be experiencing to move towards a place of greater connectedness and meaning, as you can see on the diagram, um, recognizing that you know, to, to a certain sense, in a certain sense, it's asymptotic, right? You're never going to quite, it's your algebra reference for a, for a Monday morning, uh, right? You're, you're never going to quite get there to fully be at that line, but you can, you can try to get as close to it as you can. Hopefully I used asymptotic right and uh, my algebra teacher from high school isn't cringing. Um, so I'm going to bring us back to, to a place where we wound up last week. Cause um, I had offered up a couple of definitions of spiritual growth from a couple of different rabbis offered up that it, it was interesting to me that they hadn't specifically um, named God, which for me is, is an important piece that I offered up a de- definition of spirituality um, from dr lisa miller about this idea that there's something bigger than us that we're in relationship with and then bringing it into a jewish framework um from this really be- both beautiful and well-timed piece from uh, rabbi jonathan slater of the institute for jewish spirituality that was sent as part of the beginning of of their elo project um for this year that i'm gonna i'm gonna hang with for a little bit this morning and he offered up this framework of mitzvah. Uh, a concept that is pretty core to what we think about as uh, something within our tradition, and he refracts it a little bit through this idea of a spiritual practice through which we connect to our inner lives. Right? It's not just something that you do; it's not just a physical action. Um, but he talks about how it's this connected to this Aramaic word, savta, connection, um, and so through the mitzvah, through doing this action. It's, it's possible to connect not only externally, but internally as well. Um, and putting an even finer point on it, I'll just read out the sentence that I've, I've bolded and underlined. It's how you know I think it's important. Uh, one way we take this into practice is to see each mitzvah. And, and I think that, that phrase, I think, is an interesting one, um, is to see each mitzvah linked to some particular aspect of our life and behavior. Connecting with and performing that mitzvah directs us to that part of life to bring us into a direct relationship with our life in this moment. So I'll linger just for one more second on why I find that phrase. Oh, in case you're wondering, yes, I am working from home this morning and we are back in. Yeah. Raise your hand if you can hear my kids screaming. Okay, I'm so glad we're back to this experience of our pandemic mode. Um texting is it possible to get the kids out of the backyard please great and now back to our regularly scheduled program um, this idea of each mitzvah that every single uh, mitzvah within our tradition can be linked to some, some part of our life um, and I think that not all of of the Vote that we have in our tradition necessarily seem to lend themselves to that. Um, we can we can maybe put that in the parking lot for now and we can revisit it a little bit later. Um, but I do really love this idea that the vote provide us with this framework that is organic to our tradition and speaks to some of the pieces that I've been laying out in terms of spiritual health and growth. Um, and I think that, that that offers up a really nice framework for the rest of our conversation today. So that's where we're going to be going from here. Um, I'm going to quickly hop out of the screen share thoughts, reflections uh, to this point. So there are a couple of chants, but I haven't yet looked at them. Um, oh, Joanna, the voices of children are the voices of angels. Uh, they can't, they, they can't, they can be. Uh, I have, I have, I have very, uh, very, very loud angels. I have very loud, screens. and welcome, Michael. It's nice to have you here. Um Okay, so that's the framework that we're working with. Thumbs up. So, what I'm going to take us into now is first two examples, because Rabbi Slater presents a really nice um, framework for this. He gives two examples for thinking about how vote that are also pretty core to our experience can anchor us in this framework. Then I'll offer up two examples uh, of my own, one is a framework that I, that I work with for a piece of my own spiritual practice, and another is a piece that I sort of also stumbled on last week that I think gives gives a different perspective to this, and we can discuss and open up from there. Okay, so the first example he offers up is Shabbat. Right, we know about we know about Shabbat, right? Friday night, Saturday night, uh, have a nice meal. Synagogue's a little too long, right? Take a little break. It's very nice. Right, um, and working with this idea, he offers it up as a framework not just for the shamor uh, bezachor pieces that we know and love, right? The things that we abstain from and the things that we practically do, right? We don't work on Shabbat. We do enjoy ourselves and make kiddush and have challah and all that good stuff. He he again refracts it through this idea of our inner experience. And there's some really poignant questions here. He he offers up, when I am not doing anything, am I still busy inside, restless in my body or mind? Or can I find stillness? Which for some of us is a greater spiritual challenge than others. Um, working with this core idea as well, that um, when it's Shabbat, you're actually not even supposed to be thinking about anything that you should be doing after Shabbat. folks have heard of that, right? That you're just supposed to be, you're not supposed to be thinking, okay, here are the six emails I'm gonna have to send right after Shabbat is out. You're just supposed to be in that moment and bringing that into this sort of personal reflective place of, can I really be still? Um, he, He asked this question, when preparing for Shabbat, sort of the flip side of this, right? Can I take joy in the busyness knowing that it's necessary for the rest to come? Instead of just being, stressed out and sprinting to whatever the candle lighting time is. And, you know, well, it's that 718. So if I, you know, stretch it to 18 minutes, I can, you know, do one last thing before, before Shabbat comes in and it's really, really stressful. Or can I say, oh, whew, Shabbat's coming. Yeah, let's go. Let's make it happen, which is also, a fun. um, and he has a couple more questions than this, but I'll just offer up this last one. Um, when we catch ourselves impulsively reaching to do something that is not part of our Shabbat observance, can we allow the invitation to stop, to let things be, thus deepening Shabbat consciousness for us? So when I notice myself reaching for like, oh, I just got to send that email or, oh, why can't I just drive over there? Or why can't I just write whatever it might be, that thing that feels tempting, important, something that is habitually part of the other six days of the week for me can that be a moment right instead of either saying oh i wish i could or scolding myself and saying, no don't do that can that be a moment where i say ah oh, yes it's shabbat i'm not going to do that right now um i think i might have indicated this last week that the institute for jewish spirituality leans heavily on mindfulness practice that's really their core framework for thinking about this um and with with meditation as a primary, but not exclusive, uh, there are other pieces to that as well. And this last question reminds me of this idea in mindfulness meditation, that in, in any moment that you bring yourself back to the breath, that's a successful moment of meditation. That it's not about counting like how many consecutive breaths can I success, right? It's not, it's not a, comp- meditation is not a competitive sport, right? It's not, oh, I got to 20 breaths where I was focused on the breath today, and hopefully tomorrow I'll make it to 21. This idea of each moment, if I notice my mind wandering, I say, okay, I'm going to bring it back to the breath, and I take a deep breath in and out. That's a successful moment. That's a moment where I was mindful and I took that pause. um, And I think that that's that's really core to to this idea. So I, I don't know if this registers as different or not, for how folks have or have not thought about their their Shabbat practice. Um, I I like these questions a lot, and I think that they are a good example of thinking about how mitzvot provide us with a framework for recalibrating our our spiritual health for something that happens every single week. Okay, so that's one of his examples. We'll bring one more. So he talks about brachot. Um, We say brachot before we eat after we eat brachot are show up other places they're part of our tsila etc but but he's really talking uh, here about um particularly um when when we eat um which at least, at least for me, both, both because of I, I get hangry. And sometimes when I really need to eat, I really need to eat. Uh, in my house, meal time is also, you know, uh, closer to a, a food fight than I nice sit down meal. Just as a quick, and we, we had two co-worker friends of Sarah's over pre-COVID for like a Friday night dinner to host on whatever it was. Mm-hmm. I have no table manners anymore. I've no table manners anymore whatsoever after, after kids, like, cause I know it's polite. I know it's in my head. Uh, you wait until everyone has served themselves, uh, before you start eating. But with kids, we're just like, so used to shoveling food in our mouths in like the 30 seconds that everyone's at the table. So we like, (laughs) we put food on our plates and we just started eating and they looked at us, uh, horrified. So, so me, for me, uh, pausing before I eat, uh, can be an important spiritual practice as Rabbi Slater is indicating here. Um, and here he says, Anyth- anything that we hold in our hand comes from the created world. In some manner, it was taken from the earth and then worked with human hands. This idea of a of, uh, partnership. Right? Its source is in God, the creator. When we recite a bracha, we acknowledge this truth. When we recite a bracha, we bring ourselves to awareness of God's presence in this moment. Such an awareness can change how we behave relative to the world, how we use resources, how we consume materials. So, this moment of pause, this moment of connection with something bigger than us, um, gives us an awareness. And it's, and it's too, right from my perspective, it's twofold. There's something that it does for me as an individual because it helps me hit pause, it helps me feel connected, and it also shifts my awareness in terms of thinking about um the the world, right, that which is bigger than me, both in terms of God and also in terms of um, thinking about the world and and uh, like he says, how we use resources and consume materials, which I think is a really nice um, framing to think about. So these are the two examples that Rabbi Slater um, brought from Uh, This piece that I'm that I'm really uh, you know having as an anchor for this conversation, thoughts or questions on that before I bring uh, some some other examples. Um, I saw Carl. I'll I'll just read out Carl had in the chat. Carl said, "I have numerous occasions on spot when improper thoughts intrude, so I get to practice dismissing them." Yeah, Carl, you want to you want to say a little a little more about that? I'm I'm interested to hear about that.
2: Sure. if you're, uh, it's inevitable that, uh, some worry about what comes after Shabbos or before, or yes, that email you're going to send uh, intrudes on your mind. At least in my case, uh, I'm, I'm never going to get to zero percent, uh, right. distraction. So instead of being totally annoyed or, or derailed by that, uh, I find it's it's more useful to uh, say okay I'm right. being distracted and uh, but I can realize that let it go and I'll get back to it in twelve hours or whatever yeah uh, and the world will go on and uh, that practice of shall we say letting go or putting aside is. Uh, I think uh, a beneficial one. It actually could be used during the week as well, but especially yeah. on Shabbat.
1: A- a- absolutely. I mean, I, you you took the words right out of my mouth with that last sentence, that it it's not only during Shabbat that when something comes up, I need to be able to mindfully let it go because I can't get to it in that moment, right? Whether it's a work thing that I can't get to right now or I'm with one of my kids and one of the other ones is is demanding right that there are always going to be numerous pieces that pop up at once and working the spiritual muscles to be able to say this feels really urgent in this moment but that's not where I'm going to choose to turn my focus yeah, absolutely. And that's not something I'll speak for myself uh, that I am naturally good at, right? I, like, right? oh, that I got to do that. I got to do that. I got to do that, right? That, that cultivating that muscle to be able to say, okay, where am I choosing to put my attention right now? What is actually both important and urgent in this moment um, is certainly something that, that takes practice. Um, and that's one of the invitations here. Um, a framework for this that I've also heard um, in a couple of different places. Oh, and here's the cat. Yes, here's the cat. Well, oh, the cat wants the book. Yes. In case you're wondering, yes, we also have two cats now in addition to our three children um, because we are crazy. Yes, this is Pop Tart. Hello, Pop Tart. Goodbye, Pop Tart. Yes. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, Cheryl, don't just do something. Sit there. Exactly, exactly. Um, the other piece I'll, I'll layer in um, that folks uh, offer up sometimes is this idea of whatever it is that's presenting itself. So sort of, you can invite it in, right? Instead of shoving it out and saying, I don't want to think about this, I don't want to think about this. Because if I'm saying over and over again, I don't want to think about this, what am I doing? I'm thinking about it. If I, I don't want to think about that email. I don't want to think about that email. I can, say, I can invite it in as a guest and say, okay, that's what I'm thinking about right now. I'm now going to choose to think about something else, right? And that 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 can be a helpful framework. And I think, Carl, can, connected to, to some of what you're offering up as well. Uh, yeah, Joanna.
3: So just thinking about um, my own practice, you know, during the pandemic, um, before the pandemic, I was... Pretty traditionally observant. I didn't use electricity or technology on Shabbat. And especially living alone and like feeling the need for community, I decided that I would compromise and use electricity. And it's been really interesting because it's almost to a certain level, like if you want to be mindful of Shabbat, it requires more thinking than the black and no, I'm not touching technology, right? Because yes, for this, yes, to go to shul. Yes, to participate in a Torah study, you know, no to check emails when it's right there in front of you. And, you know, the notification is flashing across your screen. Um, No to, you know, whatever. And all those like I find myself needing to make these constant yes, no decisions. Or even another example is there was a brief window here in the course of the pandemic where I was able to attend Shacharit in person. Mm -hmm. But they were asking you to bring your own CD and chumash. And I always found it so cumbersome, especially because even if you sanitized at home, like it was just procedure, you walked into the shul, you had to put everything down, sanitize, whatever, and just like so cumbersome. And I'm like, oh, it's not Shabbat. I don't need to bring a chumash. I can follow Torah reading on safari. And I caught myself in shul a couple of times, you know, once my phone was out, what else was I doing during the Torah right, reading? Right. And, you know, and getting back to that mindful practice that like, no, I'm in shul now. I'm using the phone for Torah reading, not for all these other things.
1: Right, right. It's really invited us to rethink a lot of things in terms of how we connect spiritually. Um, and going back to something that you said, Joanne, in your very first sentence, you offered the word compromise. Right. You, you, right. You frame this sort of like, and, and I think if you are relatively traditional halakhically, that makes sense. Right. I I would offer a different framework for you to think about. You took the opportunity to reevaluate what you needed for your spiritual health. Right. You, you took the opportunity to say, okay, what are my spiritual needs right now? I, I need community. How can I go about connecting with community? Okay. That's different from what I did before and this is what i need right now and it might be something that you keep doing it might be something that a year from now you stop doing right i think it's really important to have this recognition that just like your workout plan when you are 30 will look different than when you are 50 what you need for your spiritual health is also going to evolve and shift and grow and develop that it's that it's not static right i would i would say it's a sign of Good spiritual hygiene. If you are consistently asking the question, "What are my spiritual needs right now? What are the most effective and meaningful ways of meeting those needs?" Right, um, and the pandemic pushed pushed those conversations in in a host of it. Right, I, I think there's going to be a lot of when whenever this is all over, true, true, true. May it be soon. Right, there's going to be a lot of reflection about the ways in which this this pushed different religious communities, certainly within the Jewish world and in, in, in different ways to explore all this. So, um, yeah, Tybel.
4: Um It's in a way now, I think, going to add on to what Joanna said. But before the pandemic, my adult child, when he was little and he went to day school and that was the conservative synagogue we belonged to, uh, things were much looser. So he used to tell people, we're Shomer Shabbos for shopping. That's how he used to explain what you do and don't do on Shabbos that we did drive. And in the pandemic, and there were things that I didn't used to do I didn't use to do before the pandemic. Same thing as jo- I think Joanna said, if you don't open email at all, it's easier. And I can't even tell you how long ago that slipped for me. On the other hand, Friday night with the joy of zoom, Um, And I know you were giving me a special greeting because here in Maryland, people may not know. I'm in Maryland, so the all, I'm probably the only one that's south of the Mason-Dixon line when you greeted us with you all. So I took that as special for me. But (laughs) So in terms of electricity and email and you, you name it, I don't even think about it anymore. But I've been really surprised that two friends of mine, one, a rabbi in another city who was... I wouldn't even send an email. Even if I had been doing it, she was so careful about MUXA and email being created. And now she just, and she's someone, I'm home. I don't go out at all. She goes out, but that's dropped for her. And I was just really surprised that another friend who I know is very orthodox just sent me an email on Shabbos. And I almost, and maybe that was his provider somehow
1: delaying it Send yes. it before it's shabbos and it went through the filter right
4: yeah maybe but i somehow right. don't think so and for him he had a power failure you know whatever go on but part of it is that maybe for conservative jews who didn't who didn't make a distinction about shabbos and not i'm focusing on the first one except that you came to shul It's such a, I mean, the way you talked about in the beginning, a continuum, even about a few things in a different place. Because on the one hand, I'm spending, you know, when I go to four Shabbat services on a Friday night, because it's so joyful and I take advantage of the time differences. Well, that's more of a Shabbat, but then I'm doing all this email in between the services. It's just. Right. And thinking through to where I'm going to be after the pandemic, if it, there's ever an after the pandemic for me, given how I need to be home, it's just really different. And then I think about, I'll stop in a second because, and I really do, I would rather hear kids than no kids. But if you have young children where the percentage is, I'm sorry, misspoke. the pandemic is such a huge percentage of your lives how do you get them to understand what you do in pandemic and what you don't? Especially for you, you said three kids; they outnumber you.
1: They sure do. I, I outnumber even me and my wife. Uh, yes, um, I, I think there's a lot in there. I, I, I appreciate all of that. I'll, I'll pull out. I think two and a half pieces. You know, I'll I'll start with um, the first, just in terms of the kid. You know. I do think, well, it's been a while since we've done this. There was a, a decent chunk of time where on Shabbat, because we need to go for a walk on Shabbat morning, because what else, what else are you going to do on Shabbat morning? Um, and this was actually Jonah's idea, Jonah's who, who's now 10. He said, let's walk to Shul. And we would walk to Shul. We wouldn't go in because it wasn't even open at that point. But on Shabbat morning, we'd walk to Shul. And we'd say, hi, Shul. And then we'd turn around and we'd walk back. Right. And that made it Shabbat because that was only something that, we, that was something we only did on Shabbat morning. Um, So is is that kid services? Is that davening? Is that? No. But it was something right. It was it was something to differentiate. Um, And that was his idea, by the way, not ours. So that was his brilliance in that moment to say we're going to do something that's just for Shabbat. Um, and to your point about the services and the email, you know, I I, I think. A lot of times when it comes to halacha, the slippery slope argument is used. Well, if we allow this, you know, like like the jar, ah, I'll lead to mixed dancing, right? I trust people more than that. I trust people to be able to meaningfully differentiate between being on Zoom and sending a work email on Shabbat. I think people can do that, right? And just the idea that, well, if we allow this, it means people are going to do this, 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 this. I don't buy that. You can make a mindful choice to say, well, I'm doing this, and I can also do this, this, and this, but that's ultimately your choice. We have to think about what our communal standards are and what binds the community together, which is, of course, a complicated conversation, Um, but I don't really buy the slippery slope argument, and I think that that's also then an invitation to say, okay, I'm going to these four Shabbat, Shabbat services on Friday night. That's awesome. And that also presents a unique spiritual challenge to me in terms of being present on Zoom while also mindfully abstaining from email during that period of time. I think it's a really interesting spiritual challenge in terms of what you're deciding is important for your spiritual health and growth, if that's the choice that you need to make that's healthy for you, right? The one other thing I want to just offer up, and Carl, you've had your hand up for a while. Michael, I saw you put something in the chat that I'm sure is lovely, but I haven't been able to look at it yet, um, is... You know, sometimes when it comes to religious practice, right, we go to fromest common denominator, right, particularly in terms of Shabbat and Kashrut. Um, and to, to channel my one of my teachers, Rabbi Mark Borovitz, for a second, how many people are really from on Lashon Hara? Right? How many people are really from on loving their neighbors on the, as themselves? Right? How many people are really from on not putting a stumbling block before the blind? Right, there, there are all of these interpersonal meets vote, right? How many people are really from on paying their laborers on time? There are all of these interpersonal meets vote, but being from often gets shrunk down into Shabbat and Kashrut. And when you go back to what Rabbi Slater was saying, he's saying each mitzvah offers an opportunity for thinking about spiritual health and growth. Now, it might be some of the mitzvot for Shabbat. It might be some of the ways that you keep kosher. Folks, we got 613 of these, you know? That's a lot. That's a lot of opportunities for connecting in this way. And... Look, normatively of course Shabbat and Kashrut are important, right? I'm 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 I'm, I'm bit making a bit of a straw man here. Um, and there is more. Right? So when we think about what we're really connecting with in meaningful ways, I also want to want to open that up in terms of how we think about it as well. Um yes, Carl, you've been
2: waiting very patiently. So I wanted to respond a little further to Joanna's comment on the electronics and your comment here. Uh, In one way, it's, I guess, a good opportunity to have to make those choices and say, I'm going to refrain from shopping, but I am going to let myself tune into services. But it is a little bit of a you know, constant, what should I say, strain or or uh, effort required. So it seems like there's a great opportunity for a, a new app here, the, the Shabbat Concierge app <laughs> that you can pre-program to say, okay, I'm going to go to these sites because that's where I pull up my Torah readings right, and where right. I join services, but it's not going to let me go to any other sites. And then I don't have to exercise restraint other than the, one thing to, to throw the switch on Friday night to turn on the, the, the Shabbat concierge mode on my phone. Right. You can, act, by the way, for the
1: record, if, if folks are curious, um, it is possible to load up YouTube so that pre-time stuff goes automatically. Um, which I think we did for at least high holidays last year. I don't know if we do, if Rabbi Schatz was here, she could she could tell me what we do each week on Shabbat. I don't, and it is also possible like to set all the, like do not disturb alerts on your phone at like particular times and that kind of stuff. So, so Carl, I'm going uh, to, my next couple of weeks are are pretty busy. So that can be your homework. Okay. That's going to, yeah. that's going to be, that's going to be Carl's homework and um, he's going to report back to us on that. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, Karen, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna nudge us forward. Oh, and Denise raised her hand too. Oh my god! Oh
0: my god! It's
3: okay.
0: okay. Okay.
1: I
3: don't know if this is, but it's coming to my mind. I walk around with Starbucks cards, gift cards, uh, and I hand them out. I mean, so I'm always ready to give someone in need. That's all. Yeah. Kind of a spiritual practice of mine.
1: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Right, because sometimes it can be tricky, particularly in the neighborhood wherein, right, folks are often asking, right, for money. And in some ways, right, there there's the challenge of you want you want to give. or I'll speak for myself. I want to give, but I'm not there with them. I don't necessarily know what they're going to do with that money, and I, I want to have what I feel is like at least some agency in terms of what they might do with that. So, Canada, that's really lovely, right? I know. I, who knows if they'll go and sell it after that, right? But I, I have a pretty good idea that this can be used for, for food and drink, which which this is a person, uh, this is someone who likely needs that. Yeah. All right, Denise, you talked me into it.
0: Okay, so two things. First thing is I feel like Shabbat and kosher get top billing partly because they're sort of community bonding things
2: mm-hmm.
0: because they're social, but also because like, for instance, I I went on vacation with my mom a couple of years ago, and um, I'm sort of into keeping kosher. So for dinner every night, we were in Rome, and we went to the to kosher restaurants, which are phenomenal, and even priests go, and they're just they're incredible. Everything in Italy is incredible, the food, everything. Um, but we felt it was very bonding, and like there were people that we saw in shul. And then we saw them at dinner and we saw them in ice cream and we were like making friends in the streets and you know, that wouldn't really happen if we weren't going to kosher restaurants. Yep. Yep. And because everybody everybody had that feeling of like, wow, we're all in the same team. And it just kind of lowers boundaries. We're bare you know what I mean? Like people just open up more easily and stuff like that. So I feel like that's kind of a nice thing. And I I miss that now during COVID, that there aren't those like kind of group large scale group bonding things where you yeah. feel kind I feel like the mask kind of takes that place almost where it's like it's a chance for people to convey to each other we're thinking the same way, you know? Yeah. Um so that and then also I read this book um called How to Do the Work. That's by a she calls herself the holistic psychologist. She was a PhD psychologist and felt like that wasn't doing it for her and she realized she needs to incorporate spirituality and what she talked about felt very Jewish to me she talked about this idea that um making a promise to yourself to do something positive it, it she felt like that was a first step so she talks about like this woman with MS who decided to just drink more water and then from there she decided to eat healthier and blah 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 she grew and grew but this idea that like that making a promise to yourself i feel like that's sort of like a commitment to its particular mitzvah and that and that over time it her theory is that when you make these promises to yourself and you fulfill them it sort of retrains you that you can trust yourself and you can listen to your instincts right um, which i thought was really cool yeah
1: yeah. Um I'll 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 respond to the second point first and the first point second. Uh you know, the the piece I would layer in um to that second piece is the relationship with God piece that I've mentioned now each of the past two weeks. Right. When we talk about mitzvot vote and relationship with God, the most normative way of thinking about it is chiyuv. An Obligation. You do, you do this because God told you to, um, which works for some people, um, in some communities. I don't think that's the normative understanding in the Temple Beth community. I could be wrong. Um, and that's okay. I, I think it is one of the trickier things, Denise, to your first point in terms of, well, what really binds the community together? If the majority of the members in community really feel that they have an obligation to God to be at Minion at 7.15 in the morning. There aren't a lot of people at Minion at 7.15 in the morning. Whereas in a community where that's more diffuse or people have more introspective or cultural or social or intellectual frameworks for thinking about this, it's not necessarily as binding. But I do think what you can do with that is to think about it as, as, as an invitation, Right, that each mitzvah, maybe if this works for you, great. If not, i leave it behind, right? But that each mitzvah can be God saying to you, Hey, you wanna you wanna partner in this? All right, why don't we do this together? Okay, well what about this? You wanna say a bracha before you eat? No, you shut that sandwich in your mouth before we could even talk about that. Okay. Do you wanna think about how you can maybe give to somebody in need today? No, okay, that's all right. Hey, do you wanna think about how you can prepare for Shabbat mindfully? And that that there are those opportunities for connection, which is different than obligation, but is also about me connecting to something bigger than me. That's not just what I do or don't feel like doing. And yes, I can make a commitment to myself. For me, when I think about commitments, it's also helpful to have some kind of external accountability as well. And that can be to God, that can be to someone I'm in relationship with, that can be community. Um, And for me, that's helpful. And I think that that also dovetails kind of with the first piece you were talking about in terms of, yeah, Shabbat and Kashrut, it makes sense that those are core because, A, that, well, they're pretty primary in our tradition in terms of just the corpus of writing about them. And you know, Shabbat was one of the big 10, right? So that makes sense. Kashrut, plenty about in the Torah, lots of writing about it, lots of meticulous guidelines. And there is of course also the communal piece, of course, those hold some primacy. Um, and I'm just trying to sort of poke, you know, a little hold or two in terms of this idea of, of what, what can you be from about, right? Karen's from about her Starbucks cards. That's awesome. Right, that's great, and and like I said, we got six hundred and thirteen of these to think about. Okay, well, what am I really going to make that that commitment to? Um, I'm, I want to respond to to well, Ty will put in the chat that that Rabbi Choni would say it's a ritual walking the show with my children. Yeah, absolutely, right? Ritual can be a creative experience to be sure. Michael you put a lovely comment in the chat that the framework for using meets vote for people who are not fully observant can be considered as an incremental process and not something that needs to be done all at once. I would push that even one step further. I would say define fully observant. Right? Define fully observant. No one keeps all 613. It's literally impossible. Right? It's impossible right now. Temple's not standing. I'm not living in Israel, right? It's not even possible to keep all 613. I'm confident every Jew is keeping at least one mitzvah every day. And I'm confident nobody's going 613 for 613, right? So we're all somewhere in the middle here. So then I think the invitation is, okay, how am I thinking about this system in a way that I feel personally connected? I feel communally connected. I feel connected to something bigger than me. And it's, and it's getting me a little bit closer to where I want to be going. Yeah. Okay. Um. And I can't even. Oh, there's my share screen button. Okay. I wanna. I wanna offer up two more examples of this type of thinking, and then this will. These will probably more be questions to go on, but maybe we can workshop this a little bit. Um. So this is sort of how I think about this. Um. Right. So we're told. Right. Pray three times a day. I'm not going to quiz anyone. How many times a day they pray? Right. We're told. Shacharit mincham. Right, and you can think about this. Okay, there are three sets of liturgy that you you can say each day, and you successfully check those boxes, right? If you if you successfully mumble through all the world words, right? You might do that, and if you do that, and that's meaningful for you, and you find connection in that, that is fantastic. That's great. And here's maybe a different way to think about it. Right? Why do we pray three times a day? I'll offer up. This is a framework that that I think about sometimes for myself. Well, in the morning. When I take the time to engage in some kind of spiritual practice to start the day, I feel more centered, connected than I do when I don't. So the invitation from Shacharit is, hey, Shapiro, slow your roll, take a deep breath, connect with something bigger than you, think about the kind of day that you want to have, and go from there. Right. That's the Shacharit invitation. The Mincha invitation is pause. Instead of the day feeling like, you know, the boulder at the beginning of Indiana Jones, just picking up more and more speed, right? Take a break, pause, breathe a little bit. How'd the morning go? What am I planning for the afternoon? How am I going to make the second half of the day a little bit better on the first day, right? What do I need to do to, to keep this day going in the kind of direction that I want it to be going? And then at the end of the day, the Mariv invitation, hey, how'd today go? What worked? What didn't? What did I do well? Could I have done better? What am I going to do to commit to making tomorrow a little bit better still than today was? Right. Full disclosure: I am not always even batting a thousand on these. Right. But but this is the invitation for thinking about right shachrit and chamariv in a different kind of way. If you feel the chiyuv, if you feel the obligation to daven three times a day, and you do it. That's great if you don't feel you've but you 're committed to minion or you 're committed to thinking about you know what I find meaning in that liturgy that's great and i 'm just just offering this up as a different kind of framework for thinking about for your spiritual health. Might it be helpful to have this as a framework and even if just one of these is helpful, and you can say, you know what, I haven't been doing this at all, and i 'm going to say, you know what i don 't know if I can do that in the morning, my days is really hectic." things are really also kind of crazy at the end of the day for me, I'm at least for the next whatever chunk of time going to say, I need that little break in the middle of the day. And that might be something that leads to a little more spiritual growth and a little bit of, right, getting you a little closer to green on the spiritual health spectronometer, right? And, and there, there can be real value in that. I'll offer one more piece. So this is um, from an article that I just saw last week by Rep. Shmuley Yanklowitz, who has written a lot. He's written a lot. um, And he particularly focuses in on ethical frameworks within mitzvot. He's talked a lot about ethical kashrut in a few different pieces. And this is from an article that he wrote about our obligations to the people that we employ, right, whether nannies or... Housekeepers or gardeners, right? I I will say transparently, right? We have a nanny who who we—I don't know how we would live our lives without her. Um, We have someone who helps us and cleans our house every other week, right? These are people who help us out in our day-to-day life. And I will also say, I know a few other people who have these folks, and I know of at least one case where there is someone who I think of as. Both a pretty ethical person and someone who I know keeps meats vote or sees themselves as keeping meats vote that I know because of the nanny network that my nanny is in has not treated the people that they have employed particularly well, right, which is not necessarily a judgment of that person as a person, but also to the point of keeping ritual meets vote and keeping interpersonal meets vote do not necessarily automatically go hand in hand, right? Um, And the reason I bring this example, not only does it resonate for me personally, but the three examples to this point, Shabbat, Brachot, Tfilah, those have been relatively personal, relatively straightforward in terms of ritual observance. And this gets into the interpersonal realm of mitzvot, of which there are hundreds, right, in terms of how we interact with the people in our day-to-day lives. So in this article, first he quotes um, uh, the sage Rabbeinu Yona, who teaches that if you want to hire laborers, and you find that they are poor, they should be regarded as poor members of your household, and do not degrade him, for you are commanded to have a respectful manner with them and to pay their wages. So a, a pretty expansive idea of thinking about our relationship to and ob- our relationship with and our obligation to people with with whom we're in this this type of relationship. And originally then says in his own words, he says, the Jewish community can help turn the tide and become public exemplars as just employers in the workplace and in the home. Our obligation to fiscally and emotionally, he layers in that emotional piece, which is really interesting. Our obligation to fiscally and emotionally sustain the individuals we hire to help run our households extends beyond law and into the realm of moral imperative. Learning to honor human dignity much must start in each of our homes. So it's a really interesting article. Uh, I have the link. I'm happy to share it if folks like um, but again, I bring this A because it, it hits home for me, B, because it pushes us into that interpersonal realm. And and C because it encourages us to think about, okay, and, and I'll I'll refract it again through this one with spiritual growth and health. There might be, there might be the sense that, hey, whatever, this person comes, helps me out, I read a check. That's as far as my allegation goes. But when I really think about what's at stake in terms of how I relate to another person. And what slows me down to think about what are really this person's needs and what are my obligations to that person that our tradition holds a framework for thinking about in a deeper kind of way. And that's part of what spiritual health and growth look like as well, is that it's not just about um, checking off the ritual boxes, although that can hold value and that can lead to spiritual growth, um, but it's also really uh, essential in terms of thinking about how we interact with, relate to, support, care for other people as well. Um, Time flies when you're having fun. And also inevitably, there's always more to talk about this kind of stuff. So I'm just going to offer up this this last slide that I thought we were going to have maybe 20 minutes to explore. And of course we have, you know, seven. So I think we can think about this two different ways. Um, We can think about it sort of, Uh, with exegesis and eisegesis, rather coming out of the text or going into the text, right? So when we think about the full spectrum of mitzvot, maybe a question for you could be, what's a mitzvah that you're relatively committed to, have been engaging with, have been practicing? And is there a way of expanding or reframing your experience of that mitzvah to, to bring it into a little more depth? Right to say, I've been doing this. I'm not quite sure why I'm doing this. Might there be another way of thinking about this mitzvah through this lens of, you know, sort of spiritual growth that that adds in some layers that that might help re- help it resonate a little more deeply. Or you can go in the other direction, right? Not just coming out of our tradition, going into our tradition, and say, what's something that I, as a person, have been grappling with? What's something that's been tough for me lately? And is there a mitzvah? Is there a a point of connection? Is there a grounding point within our tradition that could help me with this? That could say, okay, I hear that you're struggling with pausing in your everyday life. Have you thought about Shabbat? Have you thought about saying a bracha before you eat? Have you thought about... Uh, establishing an ongoing spiritual practice for you at the beginning of the day. Gosh, I'm noticing that I'm not really liking the way I'm conducting myself and my relationships. Here's a way of thinking about how you talk kindly about other people. Here's a way of how you think about interacting with the folks that you're in uh, a professional relationship with and how to deepen that. Here's a way of thinking about um, being proactive in terms of how you care for people in your life. Here's a way for thinking, right? What might be something that, that has been tough for you? And can you open yourself to the conversation around um, what, what might be something that could, that could anchor this for me out of our tradition? Um, so I would still love to have a conversation uh, in the remaining four minutes that we have. Um, I'm going to hop out of the screen share in a, in a second. I'll just offer up two pieces that I want to make sure to get out, get out there. Um, One is that next week will be the last of our four sessions together. Uh, Rabbi Dorf will rejoin us, um, which will be wonderful. Um, And we're going to talk through a couple of different pieces in terms of like what we're calling case studies. Folks who might be struggling, hypothetical cases, struggling mentally, spiritually, both. Um, and we'll sort of collectively talk about what might be some resources that could help those folks, while also encouraging folks to think about the resources that are helpful um, for them to sort of have a communal exploration of that. Uh, last thing I'll say is you see a little logo at the bottom there, I've put it all on the slides, I figured out how to put. Uh, uh, logos and Google Slides—that was my big growing edge uh, for these presentations. Um, we've been trying to to push forward this idea of the Center for Spiritual Growth around the show in terms of finding ways to um, connect with some of these questions. Um, we've been having this spiritual support group for the past little while that um, has gained a little bit of steam, and trying to find ways to have this permeate the institution um, in different ways, in addition to the um, areas in which it already does. Um, so if you have ideas or questions or thoughts about that, um, would love to explore those with you. Um, and there are seven comments in the chat and we have three minutes left and folks probably have thoughts and reflections. So I'm going to hop out of this, um, recognize if folks need to, um, say Lahitra out for now, but, but we can stay on for another, uh, another couple of minutes. So thoughts on anything everything contained within the past, uh, 10 minutes. Yeah, Barbara.
3: You talk about being good to the people you employ, but in actuality, I'm continuing to work and see people for my spiritual
0: health.
3: <laughs> Certainly not for financial work in the last few years. Right. It's solely to make me feel like a really good person and, I don't know, just to enjoy my life. And yeah. It's been important spiritually for me. Yeah. I don't see as many patients yeah. as I did when I was younger. That's great. No problem. Right. Makes me good. Feel good.
1: Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. And, and of course, there there can be any number of reasons that different people do different things, right? And and yeah, there might there might also be some benefit to the person on the receiving end as well, in addition to the financial um, piece of it. To be sure. Yeah, to be sure. Um. Yes, I can send a link to my slides in the chat. I'm scrolling back up. Um, other thoughts, reflections, considerations? Yeah, Joanna.
3: So, um It's sort of interesting after my father passed away. I mean, the reasons I won't go into them now, but they're fairly obvious on reflection. But my father had three daughters and we never discussed it. And we all davened three times a day for the year to say Kaddish. And as that year was coming to a close, I was... You know, asking myself, you know, what's going to become my davening practice on day 11 months plus one day, am I going to go back to being just the Shabbat davening Jew, or, you know, have I cultivated something here? And so I decided to, I mean, and it's very easy in pandemic mode when going to show doesn't require getting up at 6.15 in the morning, especially when I dab on California time also, you know, taking 10 steps to my computer is a whole different ballgame. But I'm like, okay, that's a good way to ease into it. And yet I do find like it's sort of hard to maintain that and to always be present and like this... Ethereal relationship between, you know, your mindset and having the proper intent. There are days that I feel like, oh, like I've come with great covenant today and it dissipates. And there are days where I didn't think I had covenant and somehow I cultivate it. And like what I've realized for me is. Shacharit, which used to be the toughest, is now a little bit easier for me because I've realized how important Psuke de zimra is, and those minutes before you get to Baruch, and I've given myself permission also to go off the page a little bit during that time. So sometimes I'll linger on one that's speaking to me today, and let you know, the congregation can go ahead. Sometimes like I've, um, throughout the year of mourning, like I've cultivated this book of um, like reflections that mean something to me, or I'll open a psalm that's not in Psuke de Zimra, but that is coming to mind that morning and do something a little bit off the page. And, um, you know, you don't have that at Minchan Mariv. Minchan Mariv is just a quick dive in and you don't have time to sort of cultivate
1: that. Yeah. Um, I love that. I, I I love the sort of freedom and flexibility that you're gifting out, gifting yourself with, particularly in Sukkot and where um, certainly, in at least a conventional sense, there are far fewer like liturgical have tos, right? Uh, in that kind of way. So you're you're taking that invitation that the tradition is giving you to sort of say, okay, well, where where are we going to go? Um, where are we going to go this morning? And and I also, I mean, I I enjoy giving myself the flexibility when I'm going through the Door, when I'm in shul or davening along over Zoom, giving myself the freedom to like, if there is a phrase or a word that sort of pings something for me, kind of like rolling with that and seeing where that goes. Right. I think that that can really be a wonderful way of um, exploring spiritually and seeing what comes from there. Um, I'll, I'll actually, you, you sent you, Speaking of associative thinking, um, you you pinged something for me that I think I'll I'll offer up and then I'll I'll close the recording and sort of bring bring the session to a formal close. And if people want to stay and linger and chat, I'm happy to. Um, you know, you you said the the word kavana, right? I noticed my kavana shifting. To which my question will be right on a meta level. Well, what's your kavana? What is your intention? Because you could bring a number of different perspectives to that, right? What is your intent, right? When was the last time you paused before opening up the door and said, my Kavanaugh this morning is, and paused and sort of took an extra 30 seconds just to reflect on what that might be for yourself. Um, and what it made me think of, I actually glimpsed this in uh, the, the Machzor uh, when I was going through it a couple of years ago, um, ostensibly attributed to the Baal Shem Tov, although whether it was actually him who said it, we'll never know. Um, but he was asked, um, you know, cause there, there are actually relatively few formal places in the liturgy where you have to have, of course, have to have quotes, the right kavana. and his disciples asked him, well, what should someone do if he notices, Because they're all heathen, if he notices that he made it through the section that needs kavanah, and needs this intention and he didn't have it, should he go back and say it again? And the Baal Shem Tov said, no. He shouldn't, because there might have been some Kavanaugh when he was going through that filan. If he goes back, it's as if he's erased that Kavanaugh, right? That There there, were, there was something happening in that moment that could have had real spiritual power. And and I think, you know, in some ways, that's the inverse of what we're talking about today. It's sort of assuming Kavanaugh where there might not have been any, But but what I like about that teaching is It invites us into thinking a little more deeply about how when we engage in spiritual practice, when we follow through, commit to engage with these these mitzvot that our tradition offers – there's already something in there. There's automatically at least a little glimmer of something in there. And then the opportunity and the invitation for us is to think about, okay, well, what's what's already sort of glimmering in there? And how do I take a pause? And how do I think about what that might be for me? And how do I sort of fan fan that spark a little bit to give it a little more heat and a little more light um, so that it it can be something that I connect with even more deeply and, and push me, you know, sort of forward on that spectrum towards greater spiritual health and growth. So I'm going to pause there. Like I said, I'm happy to linger on Zoom for a couple more minutes, but I really, really appreciate everyone uh, being on here this morning. Thanks for joining. Um, hope to see you next week. Um, and uh, really appreciate the thoughtful comments and feedback. This was really lovely, folks. So, so thanks for your participation. Thanks for showing up and uh, look forward to seeing you soon.